Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. sharing the word with you this morning. We're going to be doing something a little bit different. Is that okay? Yeah. Maybe. It depends, right? Yeah, it's a trick question because I'm asking you and you have no idea what's coming next. Um, let me ask you a question. Some of these questions might be a little bit confronting, but you, you're okay, right? We're all grown-ups, most of us. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why in the world do we even have to believe in God? Have you thought about that recently? Why can't we just know? Why didn't he make it just so that there was no room for doubt? He just made it really, really obvious. Why is it difficult to believe for some of us? It seems like we should just know, doesn't it? That would make life easier. Yes? Yeah, it would. And in a room like this, you know, some of you have extraordinary faith and some of us don't have much faith and some of us are trying to regain our faith and some of us are just getting around to asking the question of whether we should have any and some of us probably don't think that we could ever know anyway. But the reality is that for a lot of people in our nation, the real question has become, do we even need religion? There's a growing percentage of people in Australia who would say, I'm just not interested or I'm not affiliated or some would say I don't buy it and others would say, I'm still thinking it through but I'm not really going to tick the box on the census. Do you know what I mean? More and more people are, are putting themselves in that category and maybe you're one of the people who just started asking questions and your parents couldn't really answer your questions and the message on Sunday didn't really address your questions and, um, and maybe you've just thought your way away from religion. We probably know some people like that. Is that true? Well, I want to address that today as best I can in the time that I have. And um, to do so, I'm going to bring some thoughts that a pastor called Andy Stanley has said on the subject. And, um, and his theory is that um, oftentimes the versions of Christianity that most people walk away from are versions of God that never really existed anyway. They are a somebody-told-you-so God and somebody-told-you-wrong. So I want to address that today. Is that okay? All right, now, if you fall into the category of a person who has heaps of faith today, don't tune out on me, okay? If you haven't thought the things that we're going to address today or you haven't thought them in a long time, I guarantee you that somebody in your world does have these questions, and hopefully this message can equip all of us to help them answer those questions. Yeah? So if this message isn't for you personally, it's for someone you know. And you get to take it to them. Is that all right? Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you um, that you are a good God. And uh, Lord, we just want to express our thankfulness that we can meet together this morning. God, I pray that you would speak to those of us who have questions. I pray that you would make yourself known to us, Lord. God, I pray for those of us who already know you, that you would bring to mind somebody who this message is for this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just a warning. About halfway through my message, we're actually going to pause for Remembrance Day. I'll give you some warning for that. But So if we lose a little bit of traction, that's okay. Yeah? Okay. So most of us were presented with the concept of God when we were very, very young. Is that true for most people? Maybe 
in Sunday school or um, in scripture at school. Just give me a wave if that's true for you. Yeah, so most of us, it's also the time that we're told about the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus. Yeah. So what I want to do for the next few minutes is I want to talk about the gods that we grew up with. The gods that we grew up with that do not exist. So here's the first one. It's the I told you so God. Oh, sorry. Here's the first one of the I told you so gods. It's boyfriend God. It could be girlfriend God, depending. Um, Now, boyfriend God is the God whose presence needs to always be felt. If he doesn't call for a few days or a few weeks, he's left you. Okay? So it's the boyfriend, girlfriend God. If God is with me, then I should feel his presence. Especially if you grew up in church, you might have been told this. You had this kind of cool camp moment, or maybe you've had a worship moment, or an awesome quiet time moment, and you have those moments where you just sensed the presence of God. And then some time goes by, and you don't sense the presence of anything. And you think, God, I want to feel your presence. And you read literature, and you read scripture, and you read the Bible, and it just kind of feels flat to you. And you show up here at church and people have their hands in the air and you're like, I'm just not getting this. I'm standing right next to you and I'm not feeling what, I'm, what you're feeling. It's like, okay, God, I, I, want, I want to sense your presence, but since I don't feel your presence, you must not be present. Well, said who? Who told you that? In fact, did you know that you are the least aware of the things that are the most constant? When you're sitting in a room and the temperature is perfect, have you ever turned to the person next to you and gone, oh, the temperature is really perfect in here today? You never do that, right? You don't notice it when it's perfect. You don't notice it when it's constant. None of you woke up and said, oh, I feel like an Australian today. But you are, right? So the things that are most constant are often the things that we are least aware of. Where did we get the idea that somehow you were to constantly feel the presence of God? Well, somebody told you that. They set an expectation. And then you went for a month or a year or a long time. I mean, Mother Teresa, we know this woman (laughs) followed God, right? There's no question about that. But she wrote about the fact that she went for many, many months and even years without actually feeling an experience or feeling the presence of God. Well, boyfriend God, girlfriend God, or whatever you call that, if you quit believing in that God, good. It doesn't exist. Is God constantly, unshakably with you? Is he relentless in his pursuit for you? Yes, absolutely. But does that need to be a sensation that you feel all the time? Nope. And God never said that it would be. All right, then there's the anti-science God. Eek! Yeah, I'm going to talk about science, you guys. (laughs) Ah, The message that we get sometimes, and probably the message that we grew up with in school, um, and perhaps the reason some of us have walked away or questioned God, is we grew up with a message that said, quit thinking and start believing. Quit asking all those questions, just believe. Well, here's some good news. God or science, is a false alternative. It's a false alternative. Which means if you felt forced out of your faith because of something you learned in school or biology or chemistry or physics, 
I am so sorry that someone presented you with the anti-science God. Because what Christians have historically believed is that God is the God of this amazingly complex created universe. And everything that we discover is a discovery about how, how complex and creative God is in his creation. In regards to our beginning, we can all agree, no matter what our faith and what our belief, that there was nothing, and then there was suddenly something, right? There was nothing, and then there was time and space and matter, and there were the laws of nature, and there were the laws of physics that govern all of that, and there was somehow suddenly rules and order out of chaos. Here's what this means. If you remove a creator God from that picture... You're left with the argument that first life emerged from no life with no help. That's a theory too. No one was there. Okay. I'm not going to go too far into that today. But we're just touching it because what I want to do is bring you back to the conversation. If this has been a stumbling block for you, I want to bring you back to the conversation and say God is not anti Richard Dawkins, he's a famous atheist and an evolutionary biologist. And he says this. I think we've got the quote coming up on the screen. Think about it. On one planet, and possibly only one planet in the entire universe, molecules that would normally make nothing more complicated than a chunk of rock gather themselves together into chunks of rock-sized matter of such staggering complexity that... They are capable of running, jumping, swimming, flying, seeing, and hearing, capturing and eating other such animated chunks of complexity, capable in some cases of thinking and feeling and falling in love with yet other chunks of complex matter. I don't know about you, but I find it nearly impossible to describe creation without it beginning to sound like there is an invisible personal force with an agenda. It's almost impossible not to load the discussion up with things that personify this invisible, relentless, focused, disciplined, you can't put it out of business, you can't slow it down or change it, force that resulted in the earliest forms of DNA to the point where we have this incredibly complex world with so much variety that we see and get to explore right now. You guys, I'm not afraid of science. I don't agree with some of the theories out there, but I'm not going to write science off as anti-God, and I'm not going to write God off as anti-science. Let me put it to you this way. If you were able to figure out everything about how your smartphone worked, how it was made, you understood how the plastic was formed, you understood where the glass came from, all the electronics, the Wi-Fi, if you could explain it to the nth degree, and there was nothing that was mysterious about that thing in your hand, would you then conclude that nobody made it? No. Just because we understand does not mean that there was not a creator. Your understanding of it doesn't remove the importance or the necessity of somebody to have created it. Oftentimes it's the explainable that points to God. There's so much available on this topic written by people far smarter than I am, so please don't find me after the service and ask me lots of questions about evolution. I don't know. (laughs) Okay, but um, what I can do is encourage you to come back to the table. Think about it. Read about it. There are a growing movement of Christian scientists out there that speak to this topic. 
come back to the table, have a think about it, because maybe, just maybe, there's something to the idea that a force outside of nature is alive and active in the world that we see and experience and are beginning to understand more of every day. Amen? Okay. The next God we want to dismantle is bodyguard God. Bodyguard God. You know, some of us have been told that God takes care of you, and because of that, he won't allow bad things to happen to good people. Do you know anyone who's ever thought that? And then as you get older and some really, really, really bad things happen to some really, really, really good people, it undermines that faith. And rightly so, because clearly there is no such thing as a bodyguard God, because bad things happen to good people all of the time. So I don't know where we got that. You didn't get it from Christianity. And no one that I know of has ever built a case for God based on a lack of evil in the world. Have you read the Bible? (laughs) A lot of bad stuff happens to some really, really good people. But the argument goes pretty much like this. If he's good, he would. And if he could, he would. So if God is good, he would get rid of all the pain and the suffering and and the injustice. If he could, he would get rid of all the pain and the suffering and the injustice. So if he, because he hasn't, the, the argument is that he either lacks good or he lacks could. They would say, because there's all this pain and suffering in the world, there can't be a good God. To which I would say, you need to talk one by one to all of the people who are experiencing pain and suffering in the world. And what you might discover is this, that extraordinary suffering oftentimes leads to extraordinary confidence in God. And I know that's certainly been my story. Where did we get the idea that God should be good and just anyway? Because if you ask someone on the street who does not believe in God, and you said, if there was a God, what should they be like? They're most likely to say good and just. Where do we get that concept from? Because it doesn't come from nature. Justice is not found in nature. Have you watched those David Attenborough shows? Nature is mean. There is no justice in nature, nor was it found in the world that Christianity was born into. Jesus talked about it at a time when there was neither justice nor dignity for anybody. The rich ruled over the poor. If you had the gold, you made the rules. Women had no place in society. Children sometimes were not even named because they may not live. By modern standards, there was no dignity, there was no fairness, and there was no justice. And into that world, Jesus steps in and claims that every single person had dignity and that God loved every single person in the world. And here's the most amazing thing of all. Jesus' first century followers, who paid dearly for their faith, who were treated incredibly unjustly, who were persecuted for believing something. Jesus' first century followers embraced the idea of a God that was good and just in a culture that was categorized by injustice. If the God of Jesus really loves everybody, then we have to assume that he's a little bit concerned by all of the injustice in the world. We would hope that he is, right? Is he? Yes, he absolutely is. Does the God of Jesus address it? Yes, he does. There is a solution for pain and suffering 
and injustice in the world. But we don't like it. We don't like it. Here's the deal. See, Jesus bought us God's love, but that's not all he bought. Because the Jesus who said God is love also taught, fortunately, that God is just. Great. He's just. He also said that in the future, there will be a time where justice comes into play. In the future, there'll be the very thing we accuse God of neglecting, justice for all. But there is no justice without judgment. And this is when our culture runs for cover. I don't want a judgmental God. If, but here's the thing. If you don't want a God who embraces judgment, you can't get justice. Right? Do you follow the logic? Are you still with me? Yeah? <laughs> and do you know why we resist the whole idea of judgment? It's because in your heart and in my heart, in all of our hearts, we know we fall short. This idea exposes my hypocrisy because I want justice for you if you hurt me. I'm, I'm all for justice then, but I want mercy for me. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want mercy for me. I want justice for you. I, I want you to pay for everything you've done to me, everything you've done to my kids, everything you've done to my family, everything you've done to my friends. But when I stand before God, if such a thing is going to happen, then I want to be able to state my case and then God to go, oh, now I understand. That's okay. You can go in. Yeah? As soon as we introduce the idea that God is the God that has to bring judgment because justice requires judgment, we all get a little bit nervous. But we're not nervous for the people who've offended us. We're nervous for us. We're nervous for ourselves. And this is why the gospel is the perfect narrative. This is why the gospel survived the first, second, third century. This is when the story of the gospels becomes so preeminent and so powerful and so overwhelming. Because when God saw the state of the world that he created, and when God saw that the freedom that he gave us took us in the direction where we all fell short... Come on, we all fell short of our own standards. So we know we've fallen God short of God's standards. Into a world that fell short, God did not send a judge. He sent a saviour. Jesus said it. He said, for I have not come to judge the world, although the world needs judging. And I did not come to judge the world, even though the world is full of evil. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. God in his infinite mercy, before he chose to judge, and he will, he provided a way to save. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. No one can make this stuff up. If you reject the God of Jesus, you actually reject the basis of judgment and the basis of human dignity. And that might sound like a bold statement, but if you take God out of the picture, what are you left with? You're left with biology. Biology does not give you dignity. Bodies are weird. There is no dignity there and there's no justice in nature. But if you embrace Jesus, you get dignity now and justice later. The man who taught us that all people have inherent value and are worth dying for was executed by those he died for. The Christian story is not an easy life. 
Think about that. He was executed by the very race that he came to give his life for. Evil and injustice are not arguments against the existence of God. They are evidence that we desperately need him, that we need grace, that we need mercy. The next God is what I call legendary God. And it's this idea that Jesus is just a nice story and he's just uh, dismissed as just a man who had a following and his followers exaggerated some stuff and then there's no historical validity to Christianity. So let's address that for a couple of minutes, okay? Once the church was launched, the followers of Jesus began to write down the things that Jesus said and they wrote down the things that Jesus did. And these documents were not written together. They didn't have a party where they got together and worked out the story that they were going to write. They wrote them separately, separate in time and location. And they were written by several people. And the thing that makes this so important is that all of these documents were written during the time that eyewitnesses were alive. Now, you can't have miracle stories rising up with all the witnesses still alive unless they're going to hold up to the witnesses' accounts. Yeah? That's just logic. You don't do that. You wait till they die off and then you, then you come up with a legendary story. The New Testament authors, the gospel writers, they actually pin themselves down to a specific historical moment. In other words, they wrote, the way that they wrote the gospels, if they were not true, it would, be, it would have been so easy to discredit them. And I just want to give you one example. This is from the book of Luke, chapter 3. And look at the length Luke goes to to pin himself down and to pin his story down to a specific historical context. Look what he says. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cyphus. Now, if you're reading the book of Luke and you get to this part, it's like, this is a historian's way of saying, fact check me, I dare you. Thank you. This does not read like a fable. He says, no, 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 I want you to know exactly when I'm writing because I want you to know when these things happened. He pins these events to a specific historical context. Now, let me tell you what, that is risky if you're lying. This makes it so easy to discredit everything. Because if the New Testament documents are reliable, and we believe that they are, it is a game changer in terms of the authenticity and the credibility of Christianity. How cool is that? God is clever. He's clever. And, you know, these documents were copied and distributed from Jerusalem to Rome to Alexandria, Egypt to Constantinople, all around the Mediterranean Rim. And during this whole part of history, these documents were copied and copied and copied and distributed. Now, let me tell you what a big deal this is. Nothing parallels this in history until the creation of the printing press. There is nothing that ever comes close to the explosion of literature and copies of this literature. And by the way, whenever there's a slight discrepancy in those copies, in case you're wondering, it's in your footnotes of your Bible. Got nothing to hide. Got nothing to hide. 
All right, so we're talking about eyewitnesses and documents that they wrote. Um, John was one such eyewitness, and he wrote a letter that we find in the Bible today. He wrote a few, actually. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is actually what we refer to as the Gospel of John. And in it, he said, um, one day Jesus was talking to just the 12, and he said, if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. And then Jesus kept going, from now on, you do know him, and you've seen him. And they're kind of sitting there like, no, we haven't seen him. We just see you. It's a bit of a weird conversation <laughs> with 12 guys hanging around Jesus. And they're sitting like, no, we haven't seen him. We just see you. So Philip says what everybody else is thinking. He says, Lord, just show us the Father and that will be enough for us. We want to know what God is like. And you keep talking about God like you're on a first name basis with him or something. So just, just show us the Father. Just ask him to just like pop in, just boop like show himself and then and then we'll see what God is like and then Jesus says the craziest thing he says anyone who has seen me has seen the seen the father in other words he says this if you want to know what God says listen to me if you want to know what God is up to watch me if you want to know what God's saying listen to me this is as close as you're going to get. And if you want to know what God is up to or what God would be up to in the world, watch me. Then he says something that you may have missed. This is so huge. He says in, the, uh, in verse 11, he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He's going like, I realize this is difficult to believe. So if you can't believe because I'm saying it, I want you to look at the evidence. Because I'm not asking you to believe in belief. I simply want you to watch and draw conclusions based on the evidence. So as we kind of take the next step in this journey this morning, here's a question that you should ask. And I'm going to help you with the answers, so don't freak out. It's fine. What did Jesus say about God? What did Jesus say about God? In other words, if we were just to erase everything that everybody has told us about God, all of the pictures we grew up with, all of the versions that we've collected along the way, if we were to erase it all and, and completely blank slate our view of God, if we just got rid of all of those pictures and, says, and said, okay, Jesus, we're going to give you a shot. What is God like? Where should we begin this journey? Jesus said this, the first thing he said about God is, God is spirit. God is spirit. And you know what's really cool is that that is exactly what us modern people would expect God to be like. Because we know that whoever, whatever, created the something out of nothing had to be immaterial because there was nothing. So God can't be something touchable because before there was nothing. Does that make sense? We know that this first cause is timeless. We know that whatever this first cause is, it's spaceless. It doesn't take up any space. We know that whatever that first cause is, it has to be above and beyond the laws of nature because there wasn't and then there was. And then Jesus comes along and he simplifies this for the first century people and thankfully for us and people like me who needs it simple. And he says, just think of it this way, God is spirit. 
And it lines up exactly with what we know about a created world. Exactly what we modern people would have to assume about an uncreated first cause. Jesus wasn't finished. Jesus also said, God is Father. Now, not the reflection of our earthly fathers. I have an amazing father, but he's not perfect. He's not perfect. He gets some stuff wrong. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the perfection of the term father. God says, Jesus says, God is personal. The best I can do for you guys, the closest that you can get to understanding the personal nature of your creator is father. Whenever you talk to God, just begin with father. It's the best relational picture that exists. And then later, that gospel writer, John, is writing a letter to some Christians and he's thinking about what he's learned from God, uh, learned about God from Jesus, his master. And he writes a statement that is truly powerful. So he's already said God is spirit. He's already said God is father. He sums it up by saying God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. When Jesus was about to be crucified and he gathered his disciples together for the last time. Now, don't you think that those last statements are deliberate? Those last statements are important. He knows it's the last time he gets to speak into their lives. And he says this, this will be the distinguishing mark of those who follow me. Not what you know, not what you memorize, not what you do on a Sunday morning. The distinguishing mark of those who claim to be my followers is that you love one another. Why? Because that love for other people reflects the nature of God. John, who has seen extraordinary violence, comes to the conclusion, God is love. Think of this, the God who says, I'm spirit, I'm behind everything that exists, but I'm not far away, you just approach me as father. Just consider me as a perfect father and understand that regardless of what you see in the world and in humanity and regardless of what you experience, good or bad, I am the light of the world. I am love. When it comes to God, Jesus is our best picture. Jesus is the place to start. Jesus is actually our most reliable source, not what somebody told you. Now, if Jesus was correct, and there's a lot of evidence to say that he was, then we know that there's forgiveness, that our rebellion, our sin, our mistakes, whatever you want to call it, becomes the platform for God to demonstrate His love for you. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it perfectly. He said, um, and there's a word in this phrase I, that I sometimes miss. He says, for God demonstrates, demonstrates. He didn't just say He loves you. He demonstrated His love for us. While we were still sinners, before we did anything for Him, Christ died for us. If there's a God, why didn't God just forgive everybody? Can't He just do that? Well, why does someone have to die? It's a good question, but here's the thing. God demonstrated His love for you. He touched down to enter a relationship with mankind, and every relationship demands a sacrifice. Married people say amen. <laughs> Every offense requires forgiveness. Every offense requires coming back together in restitution. And through Christ's actions, God demonstrated His love, His forgiveness, and His restitution. So here's what I want you to do. This is your homework assignment. I want you to find a Bible. 
And I just want you to pull up the book of John. John is about 25 pages long, depending on your Bible. Um, it's not a big ask, okay? This is a doable piece of homework. 25 pages. I want to read it and I want you to ask this question. What do I learn about the Father from the Son? What do I learn about God from Jesus? Forget everything else that you know. So I don't care if you've been a Christian for 40 years. Read John. Look at what Jesus says about who God is. Open up the conversation. Welcome your questions. Wrestle with this. It's cool. It's fine. God is resilient. He can take it. If you have believed God was some, what someone told you He was and it doesn't line up with what you read, with what Jesus says He is, then maybe, just maybe, you can let that version of God go. Yeah? Does that sound a bit freeing? It really does. I think that's going to be good for all of us. Why don't you stand? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to learn who you are through the filter of Jesus. God, I pray that you would give us courage to ask questions and reassess some of our positions, God, and make them line up with your word, with the word of what Jesus says you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.